Okay, let's turn to Psalm 33 tonight. Why, why is the number 33 important in the Bible? Very good. Any other reasons? Maybe we just haven't found out yet, figured it out yet. All right, Psalm 33. It's important because it comes after Psalm 32, right? And if it, if it didn't come after 32, then Psalm would only be 32 ver, uh, chapters long, and we wouldn't have Psalm 100, and we wouldn't have Psalm 139, and all those other, other great Psalms that we've got. The, tonight we're going to talk about, uh, and we're going to ask the question, and answer the question with this Psalm, why rejoice? Why rejoice? So I'll ask that question now, and I want you to think of some reasons. Why rejoice? Why do we rejoice? Do we have any reason on a Wednesday evening, uh, as we sit in church, singing about Calvary, and that uh, one day we're all going to sing His praises, do we have any reason to rejoice right now? And I think so. I think everybody here would agree that we do. We certainly do. Now, there will be some naysayers that may say, well, yeah, there's plenty not to rejoice about, too. But we're going to concentrate on reasons to rejoice. And, and I, I tell you what, they far outweigh in their importance and their relevance than any trouble, any problem that we'll ever face on this earth. So let's look at Psalm 33. We're going to read all, all the verses. We're going to talk about it a little bit tonight. Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto Him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto Him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all His works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's, that's our God right there. Number, verse number nine, that's a good verse. Uh, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, and thoughts of the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men, from the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy." to deliver their soul from death, and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. 
for our hearts shall rejoice in Him, because we have trusted in His holy name. Let Thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in Thee. So, uh, pretty, pretty positive, pretty encouraging, pretty... Uh, when I read this psalm, I have a smile on my face when I'm done, kind of scripture that we just read there. And it really puts us in, in the mind of, of who God is and, and what He is capable of. And I don't know if you remember last week or not when we were in Psalm 32 and we got in there a little bit. We had our, our business meeting last week. But we talked about how we should praise God because He forgives us of our sins. That's a great reason to praise God, isn't it? It certainly is every single day, every single day thanking Him for that. And that's what chapter 32 talked about. And then chapter 32 ended with a command to rejoice. So a lot of people believe that 33, it just kind of goes along with 32. For one reason, uh, 33 doesn't have a title. Now, it probably has a description in your Bible over the chapter about what it's about, but it doesn't have a title like a lot, or like most of the other Psalms do. But they feel like it's a connection or it's somehow connected to verse 32 because 32 ends with a call to rejoice. And what's the first word in chapter 33? Rejoice. So again, we see a call to rejoice. It's opening up with that same command. And both of these Psalms, too, a lot of reason, uh, a lot of why people think they're the same is because they they center on the theme of praise. And we'll see that a lot, really, through the Psalms. And once again, Psalm 32, God is to be praised because He forgives sin. Psalm 33, God is to to be praised. Why is God to be praised in in chapter 33, do you think? There's a lot of of wording in there, uh, uh, a lot to be said, Again, I think of verse 9 that says, He said it and it was done. You know, uh, he's, he's powerful. He's a powerful, almighty God. But I think the whole, the whole idea that we're getting through those verses is that God is in control. God is in control. That's important for His church to know, right? It's important for us to remember that. It's important for us to know that because we will not always feel that way when we look at the world and see some of the things that are going on. And, you know, because of forgiveness of sin, because that God is in control, these are reasons to praise Him and reasons for us to rejoice. And we can rejoice in difficult times too, can't we? As a matter of fact, sometimes rejoicing in those times can lead to some of the best rejoicing that will ever take place in your life because it pulls you up from the depths and it's reminiscent of what Christ did when He saved you. You know, you were, in, you were in the miry clay and he reached down and pulled you out and forgave you of your sin. And, and there are moments in our lives when we have a, a, a similar feeling when difficulties come and, and life is not uh, a bed of roses or uh, what's that song from the 70s? I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Y'all remember that song, right? Okay. Uh, for some reason, I was get, I'm getting that confused with Delta Dawn, but that's two different songs, isn't it? Okay, all right. So anyway, <laughs> uh, sometimes we get really down, and then you start thinking about all you've got to be thankful for and all the reasons you have to rejoice, and, and it's just like you're pulled up out of that. And once again, it's because of God and who He is and what He's done that pulls us up and out of that. So 
we have so many reasons to rejoice. Let's talk about that. Let's look at verse 1. Now, verse 1, the saints of God are commanded to rejoice. Plain and simple. It's real easy to see that. And the word rejoice means to be overcome, to cry out, to give a ringing cry, or to shout for joy. So we're commanded to we're commanded to be overcome. We're commanded to cry out. We are commanded to give a ringing cry. And we are commanded to shout for joy. So if I said on the count of three, I want everybody in here to rejoice, how comfortable would we be with that? Amen. Amen. I, didn't get to, I didn't count yet. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 we have so much to rejoice about. And, you know, sometimes we're a little hesitant. But I tell you what, a good, good way to practice. And, you know, you know, God made us all different. But he gives us all reason to rejoice. And we can even rejoice in different ways. But here's something that, that's worth practicing. When you are by yourself, make a ringing cry. You know what I'm saying? You know, not so that the neighbors, or maybe you want the neighbors to wonder about you, but just... Get in your house if you're, if you're ever by yourself and just, just start to rejoice and thank God for what he's done because what it is, it's giving vocal praise to God. Giving vocal praise to God. And I know that there, you know, we, sometimes a lot of times, well, sometimes a lot of times. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? I don't know. But sometimes I, I'm praising the Lord a lot under my breath. I'm not saying anything out loud for anybody to know. And, you know, there's some moments where it probably wouldn't be appropriate. I'd probably scare somebody half to death. Uh, but there are also times when it's, it's good for us to, to, to shout out and, and to sing out. And that's what that verse 1's telling us, rejoice. And then it all goes on to say in verse 1 that praise is comely for the upright. Now, this is for all of us who are not that, you know, not that much to look at. Okay, let's just put it that way, right? Because comely means beautiful. So praise is comely for the upright. So in Christ, when we praise, we're, it's a beautiful thing. And, and it's comely for the upright. It's beautiful for the upright. And I want you to think about all the emotions that grab hold of our hearts sometimes. There's envy, there's hate, there's malice, there's jealousy, there's unforgiveness, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of things that can grab hold of our heart and cause us to react in certain ways. But there is no emotion that is more benef- beneficial to us and I think more beautiful than a heart that is full of praise for God. And when you know, you, it's something that you don't even have to wonder about. Sometimes people get so full, their heart is so full of praise that it comes out and they can't keep it in. Uh, you ever seen anybody like that? You ever seen that? Any, anybody just be so full of praise that they have to get up and they have to praise God for something. And you know, sometimes they get up and run. and Sometimes they get up and shout and do things like that. But I think of, uh, you know, I just think of people who, when, they're, when there's an opportunity to testify, that they get up and they start talking and they don't praise the devil and everything he's done to beat him down that day. It's all about God and what God has done. And then they become so overwhelmed and overcome with, with what they're talking about that it's just almost squirting out of them. 
and, and we've seen that. I, I know that we have, and I know you probably have as well. But it's a beautiful thing. It is, it is comely for us to, have a, to rejoice and praise the Lord. And then look at verse number 2. And for some of us, we're going to feel severely lacking because verse 2 says, or it's calling for us to use our musical skills to praise Him. And so uh, when instruments are played for the glory of God, that is just another way to honor God. It's just another way to praise God. Now I'm thinking, now I can poke a, a song or two off on the piano, but you know, Mary had a little lamb and stuff like that. But probably I, I could be very proficient at the spoons, I think, if I ever tried. But I can pick up a guitar and hope and wish all I want to and nothing ever comes out that sounds any good. But, uh, but, but instruments are, are a great way, a great thing to use to praise God. And if you look, verse 2, uh, use the harp, sing with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. And it says play skillfully. And in the next verse it says play skillfully with a loud noise. Okay, verse number three, also, or verse three tells us this. Sing unto him a new song. Sing unto him a new song. Now, I'm not going to go into that and tear that apart and talk about all the different things that that's alluding to, but I will say this, that what I think it's really pushing us to is to be thoughtful in the way that we praise God, be thoughtful in our praise, and use the uh, imagination that God has given us you know, it's real easy to say, and, and you know, uh, it's so easy to say, God is good. All the time. God is good. And that, that's, that's, a, that's a, such a true statement. And it's, we, we relate to that. And that, that's a cultural thing now because you can go to any church, any Bible-believing church, and say, God is good. And there's, somebody's going to say all the time right back at you. It doesn't matter if, what, what state you're in. And I think it's kind of worldwide as well. But we need, to, we need to be thoughtful in the praise that we give and, and, the, and, and the things that we say. And you say, well, when, why is that? Why do we need to be that way? If we look at Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, y'all can just listen as I read it. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So His compassions, His mercies are new every day. So it is, should be, and I'm talking to myself, it should be easy for me to sing a new song because I have new mercies and new compassions coming my way every day. So we need to sing the old songs. We need to sing the old songs of faith. And we need to sing, the, like the song we sang tonight to start off with, we've only sung that, what, five hundred times since we started singing that? I know, at least. But you know, it's good to, to sing a new song because we have so many new reasons to give Him thanks and to praise Him. And then verse 3 goes on to say, and I know some people in here are going to be so thankful for this, but He calls on us to praise Him in such a way that we are heard by other people. <laughs> you were one of the people I was thinking about. <laughs> But I also think, I've told you this before, how uh, uh, sometimes we would be standing in line at the steakhouse or somewhere getting ready to go get something to eat, and Dad just starts singing. And he is singing a new song, because it's a song I've never heard before. But it usually has praise the Lord and hallelujah in it somewhere. 
and you're just standing there, and, and you know, I, I think mostly of when we were teenagers and he would do this, and it was just an embarrassment. You know, you can just imagine. But I think on that fondly now because it's just such a neat, a neat thing, and, and it's not so much that you can be heard and listen to my beautiful voice and listen to the, 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 the boom of my voice or listen to how great I sound when I say this, but you want people around you to know who you, the God that you love, the God that you serve, and the God that you worship and the God that you're praising. So it's not so much for you to be seen and heard as it is for them to see what God has done in your heart and what God is doing in your life. So we have this command uh, to, to rejoice. We have this command to praise the Lord. And it tells us how in the first couple of verses, but then the rest of the psalm gives us some reasons why. And it's always a good idea to know why you're doing what you're doing. You agree to that? Why you're doing what you're doing. Why are you working at a job? To make money, right? Why do you, why do you make money? So you can buy things, right? And several other reasons why you want to do that. Why do you come to church? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Well, why is it important for us to praise God? Why should we rejoice? Why are the saints of God called to rejoice? So let's look at what this chapter says. Because, again, all throughout the Bible we're told to rejoice and we're told why to rejoice. But we're going to focus on Psalm 33 tonight. And verses 4 through 9 is what we're going to look at to begin with. And in verse 4, we're told that His Word is, is precious. We're, we're, we're told how great the Word of God is. Is there any question that that's true? Why rejoice? Because we have the, the beautiful, the wonderful, the precious Word of God. And the word right in verse 4 gives us the idea of being upright and straight and correct and what we know is that the Word of God is our standard. It sets the standard for us and how we are supposed to live. And, you know, even now and as in years past, people try to twist and manipulate and get around this and get around that to be able to justify the behavior that they want to indulge in that the Bible says is wrong. And the question, well, does the Bible really say that it's wrong? And maybe it means this, and maybe it means that. There's so many different translations. There's so many different meanings to this one word. Is this really what, what is being said? But it sets the standard, and it's certainly, uh, it's been mentioned that it's like a compass for us. It's, it tells us how to live. It tells us where to go. It tells us what to do. We're forever asking ourselves, should I do this? Should I do that? And there's always an answer somewhere if you're willing to look for it, and if you're willing to seek God in it, He's got an answer for us in His Word. But it seems like in this day and time, all around, everywhere we look, we see that there's, there's an abandoning of God's Word going on. And people are more interested in uh, not hurting each other's feelings than we are to give somebody truth that is going to help them for eternity. We're more interested in keeping them happy and, and, and feeling okay about themselves right now. But what about their eternity? What about my failure to explain to them what the Bible says because I don't want to hurt your feelings and, and then one day to know that 
they died without a, without a knowledge of Christ and what Christ did for them. You know, these things can haunt us. And I've talked with people, and I know people, who have said, I wish that you know, I would have spent more time talking about my relationship with Christ and what Christ has done, because I'm not sure that person died knowing Jesus Christ. And we have to be so thankful for the Word of God because it teaches us and shows us how to live. And again, it gives us our direction. It's, it's our compass. It's our instruction book. But again, there seems to be just an abandoning of Scripture altogether. People really don't know what the great commandment is anymore. Uh, to love the Lord your God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. And there's just the whole, every other uh, precept or commandment or, or uh, directive that God gives us, there just doesn't seem to be any interest in following those or doing those anymore. And it seems that it's really taken its toll because the world just seems full of immorality and wickedness and evil. And when we take the Word of God or when we forget the Word of God, that's going to happen. We have a responsibility. We're supposed to, you know, we are the light of the world. He is the light of the world that's within us, and we're supposed to go and make disciples. And the instruction booklet for us to be able to do that is our, our, the Word of God. And just imagine if you had to come up with everything on your own. Uh, what if you had to figure out how to behave and how to, how to make the right choice and uh, what to do in a certain situation? What if it was all up to you? I, don't, I, really, I really do appreciate it when I've got somebody around me that is an expert on a problem that I have so that I don't have to try to figure out how to fix it myself. And that's what the Word of God is. It is our problem solver. It's our helper. It's alive. It's powerful. So we should rejoice because of the Word of God. And we should, it should be so important to us that it is not something that we just look at uh, on Sundays and Wednesdays. It should be, we, you know, there's several different ways you can be clever about getting the Word of God in your everyday life. Can you hear me now? Okay. You saw it. My hand did not go back there and cut that off. You saw that, right? I think we're just weak. So I'll go as long as I can with this, and then I'll use this. All right. You never know when a battery's going to go out, right? Okay. So I'll keep that there. So anyway, we worship, uh, and we rejoice because of the Word of God. And for those that read the Word of God and honor the Word of God, and live by the Word of God. If we do those things, we're going to know how precious the Word of God is. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is what we've been saying already. You know, this, is, this book tells us, these words tell us how to live and what directions to take. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. That comes from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. And His Word helps us to discern what His will is for our lives. His Word shows us how to live day to day. Uh, 
Um, again, trying to do things on our own is not a good idea, but going by the Word of God and His instruction and His direction, that's, that's what we need. And the Word of God is also very personal. The Word of God is personal because the Word of God shows us who God is. me? All right, all right. So the Word of God is personal. The Word of God shows us who God is. It tells us about God. That is how God reveals Himself to us, and we should rejoice for that reason. Verse 4 says, we learn that He does everything that He does in truth. He does everything that He does in truth. If we want to know truth, read the Word of God, get to know God. God is truth. That's what verse 4 tells us. And that word carries with it the idea of steadfastness. It is, it is forever true. It will never change. We've talked about that before. And then in verse number 5, we learn that he loveth righteousness and, and judgment. And that reminds us that he is going to bless those that honor his word. And he is going to judge those who reject him and want nothing to do with his word. That's also truth. And then verse 5 teaches us that God's goodness can be seen in all the world around us. So we learn who God is through His Word. Um, and the Word of God is a revelation of the person that He is. And how else would God be able to reveal Himself to us? Now, we can argue the, the uh, we can say what Scripture says, that you can, you can go out into creation and know that there is a God and there is somebody who created all of this. But the only reason that we even know that is because it says so in the Word of God, right? I mean, just imagine this. Just imagine, this is probably a crazy idea, but one of these days you're going to go out in your yard and you're going to see an anthill, and there's going to be a bunch of ants going in and out of that hole. And just imagine if you wanted to try to talk to those ants, how are you going to, how are you going to communicate with them? <laughs> you can't. They can't understand you. You can't understand them. You know, it's, it's impossible. So if there was some way that you could maybe write a book in ant language, or if you could, you know, you could inspire some of those ants to write a book to tell so they would know who you were, then you guys could have a relationship. That is probably the worst example you've ever seen or heard. But that's, you know, that's how God wanted us to get to know him. You know, there was a better way, and that way uh, was walking with him, in the garden in the cool of the day. But sin messed that up. So thank God for the Word of God so that we can know how all of this came about and we can know Him. Um, not only is it personal, but it is also powerful, and I don't think any of us would debate that. The Word of God is powerful. And He uses the Word of God to remind us that he, and, and we read it here tonight in verse, verse 9, that he spoke everything into existence. He spoke everything into existence. That's how powerful the Word of God is. Everything that we can see, everything that we can't see, everything that's large, everything that is small, everything that's near, everything that's far, he spoke it into existence, everything. And it was spoken into existence through the very Word of God. That's how powerful the Word of God is. 
And this is also, my friends, this is also the Word of God, and it is powerful. It is certainly powerful. Genesis verses one, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, God spoke for the first time, and He spoke light, and light appeared out of the darkness. And He kept speaking things into existence just by His very Word. That's, that's powerful. Sometimes as parents we feel powerful, maybe. We may say to our children, clean your room or eat your vegetables. And maybe every now and then they'll do that. Then sometimes they might not. And then you, you're, the power that you felt just disappears, right? But God, God spoke something and it happened. He spoke something into existence and right there it was. That's how powerful the Word of God is. And the Word of God itself gives testimony to how powerful the Word of God is. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. Uh, Psalm 119.89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And then 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and, of course, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we should praise God. We should rejoice because of the Word of God, because we have the Word of God, because He saw fit to give His Word to us. And it is personal and it is powerful. So we rejoice for his word. Rejoice and praise him for his word. But also, I want us to look at verses 10 through 12. And we'll see another reason why you and I should rejoice. And that is because of his will. We rejoice in his will. We all talk about the will of God. We pray in our prayers, help me to stay in your will, God. Show me your will for my life. Uh, it's important to us. It's, it's a big part of, of the relationship that we have with God. We have within us, and he's put this inside of us, uh, a desire to be, be useful and for our lives to mean something. And so even in his word, he tells us, I have something specifically for you to do. I have created you for a purpose. I have a, a will for your life. And of course, his will for everyone, his will is not that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But also he has he has purpose and he has plans for each and every one of us here. Verse 10 lets us know that his will is is dominant. It's important. It's all powerful. And it I think what it's trying to tell us here is that when God wants something to happen, it's going to happen. When God sets plans into motion, they are going to happen. When, when God had decided what the redemptive plan was for all of mankind, he, neither hell nor heaven nor earth or whatever could keep that from happening. It happened because it was his will that it happened. His will is dominant. Now, we can think about other countries, and sometimes we get a little concerned because we look at the, 
uh, the military that some of these other countries that aren't so friendly with our countries have. And when we think about the, the military in Iran and North Korea and, and the power and the military and the financial resources of places like China and the belligerent attitude of Russia and then, you know, Islam and, and everything like that, everything just seems so out of control. And then we take a look at our own government, and we've always kind of felt, you know, through the years we've always felt this America is God's country, and God has blessed this country, and, and we see things that are happening as of late that make us wonder, will God continue to take care of us? Will God continue to bless us? God's always going to take care of his people. That's something we don't ever have to worry about. But we see some of the decisions that our own government is making, and, you know, we wonder how things are going to play out. But we, again, don't need to be afraid. We don't need to fear because our God is in control. Psalm 115, verse 3 says this, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And when we think about the will of God, we see it's dominant, but we also see that it's determined. The will of God is determined. Uh, nothing takes place that is not part of his plan. Everything that has ever happened, he has, he has worked, he is working it out for our good. Amen. We know that straight from Scripture. And he is never surprised by anything. When he wants something to happen, it happens. It's happening in his time. It's happening the way that he wants it to happen. He is in control. That's what these verses are trying to get us to see, and, and they're reminding us that he is in control. And sometimes people, sometimes church, it's us that wants to be in control, and we like to think that our opinion matters. And, you know, sometimes we go to God, and we, we like to tell God really what he ought to do. And we may not come right out and say, God, this is what you ought to do, but in our minds and in our hearts we think, well, God, if you would do this or if you would do that, and do you ever talk to God like, God, what do you think about this? What if you did this? How would that work out? You ever talk to God like that? I, I think that he might get amused if we did, but it'd be okay with him. But I think when we get to God, we go to God and we say, God, you're, you're messing up here. You're not doing this right or you're not doing that right. I think that's kind of where we're overstepping our bounds. Because does it really matter what you and I think? And, and do we know everything that's going on well enough to be able to make the the best possible decision for any situation? I don't know what Gary's thinking. I, I don't know what Cherry's thinking. I don't know what Connie's thinking. So, you know, they may come and they might ask me for some advice, and based on what I do know, I might could give them some. But, you know, that might be bad advice because I may not know all the pieces of the story. But God, God knows everything, and he knows how everything needs to play out. And he knows everybody that's involved in what would be best in terms of their obedience to make things happen the way that would be best for everybody concerned, which goes back to Scripture that says he is working everything out for good. Listen to Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God. And it's just interesting that he has to keep reminding people of this. And there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the 
peace, the man that ex- executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. It will also bring it to pass. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. And what this kind of boils down to for you and me is, I promised you this, it's going to happen. I told you this was going to happen, it's going to happen. And so we never need to question and we never need to doubt. We just need to do a little five-letter word, and that's trust. We just trust him because as the Scripture is telling us and as we say we know that God is in control. God is in control. Psalm whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and all the deep places. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What are you doing? Or, or what doest thou? But None of us can say, and that comes from Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. None of us have any right to look at God and say, what are you doing? What, what's going on here? And, you know, we can ask, God, God, could you show me what's going on here? I'm a little confused. But if you don't, I still trust you, and I still know you've got everything under control. God is in control. God is in control of all things. And what you and I can do is rest in his provision and his his power and we can trust him and we should rejoice because of that but there's one other aspect of his will that i want to talk about and that is that his will is desirable now this psalmist here uh he mentions that the nations he talks about the nations that honor god and he said that the nations that honor god will be blessed and, you know, we can take a look at America and we can see some of the decisions that have been made down through the years. And we can see that we've made some really good decisions, really good choices. As a matter of fact, I found a couple of things. Um, May 3rd of last year, uh, 2018, Trump signed an executive order to ensure that faith-based and community organizations have strong advocates in the White House and in federal government. And he made this statement. He said, America is a nation of believers, and together we are strengthened by the power of prayer. Those are good words coming from a president. Amen? I don't care how you feel about him. That's encouraging to the believer. That's encouraging to the church. But before he did that, back in 1983, you guys remember that? Anybody remember 1983? Uh, It was declared by Congress as the year of the Bible. Um, stating that the Bible, the Word of God, has made a unique contribution in shaping the United States as a distinctive and blessed nation. And also biblical teaching inspired the concepts of civil government that are contained in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. But before that, before that, in 1954, Chief Justice Earl Warren Uh, said that the history of our country and the documents exhibit the same objective. We are a Christian land governed by Christian principles. But even before that, in 1863, I know that's quite a jump, Abraham Lincoln, on April 30th of 1863, 
appointed a national fast day and declared that it is the duty of nations as well as men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. Kind of points us right back to our Scripture that we read tonight. But even before that, in 1789, you remember a guy named George Washington. Uh, on October 3rd, 1789, he said, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly implore His protection and favor. I'm going to go back a little farther. In 1620, the Mayflower Compact... It was a covenant in the presence of God, in the name of God, amen, by the grace of God, have undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith. And then even before that, Calvin wrote to the king of France in 1536, Now that king who in ruling over his realm does not serve glory, exercises not kingly right, but brigandage or oppression, Furthermore, he is deceived who looks for enduring prosperity in his kingdom when it is not ruled by God's scepter, that is, his holy word. For the heavenly oracle that proclaims that where prophecy fails, the people are scattered. But long before that, even before all of these things, and we can certainly dig up so much more, uh, about our leaders and uh, the way that our country has progressed and how we have trusted in God and relied on God and the Word of God. We had Psalm 33, verse 12, that said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So His will is desirable. His will is desirable because His will lets us know how we need to live, and it and the Word of God lets us know what His will is. And all of these are reasons for us to rejoice. The, we rejoice because of the Word of God. We rejoice because of the will of God. And I'm going to try to give you the last one here very quickly. And, and that's one that may mean the most to us. And that is something that we find in verses 13 through 19. We rejoice because we have a God who is watching us. We have a God who is watching who is aware of what's going on. He sees us. He sees everything that takes place. There is nothing that happens. There is no thought that we think. There is no, no action that we perform that he does not have intimate knowledge of. Now, that will either comfort you <laughs> or that will, that will bother you or worry you, but he knows everything. Everything that you think you do in secret and in private, <clears throat> he knows Every thought that you think you're the only one that knows you ever had, he knows it. <clears throat> Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened up unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs 15.3 tells us that. He knows every deed. He knows every deed. He knows every thought. 
Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Psalm 139, verse 2. He knows the motive behind everything that you do. Once again, we have a God that's watching. He knows why you do what you do. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the rain, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his days. That's from Jeremiah 17.10. And then in Matthew 12.36, he hears every idle word. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof. So he knows everything. He hears everything. He sees everything. He is aware of everything. His watching makes him aware of everything that we say and everything that we do. And it is good It is good to know that we're being watched because so many people, I, I read a, a story about a little boy, and I kind of alluded to this in my prayer tonight. There was a little boy in another country whose family worshipped idols, and they were made of wood. And he asked his father, he said, Dad, why do we worship things that we make that can't talk back to us and can't help us, and all we do is sit here and talk to them and nothing ever happens? And, you know, the, the, the kids just get it sometimes, don't they? So much quicker and so much better than we do. And his father couldn't give him an answer, didn't have an answer that satisfied him. So he put those idols away, and he forgot all about those idols. They didn't want to have anything to do with him, and so he began to search. And we talked the other day about how we go out and we see evidence of God and Scripture that tells us that if you earnestly seek Him, you will find Him. So this young man went out searching for truth, searching for answers, and guess who he found? Or maybe better put, guess who found him? God. And he talked to God, and God talked back, and you're thinking, what? Now you understand what I'm saying. God was real. God was an alive God. And you know, he, he, he made the comment that for so many religions, um, you've got, you can go to the, the great men of other religions and you can go to their, their, their coffins and you can open up their coffins and their bodies are there so you know that they were real and that they existed. And he said, I feel sorry for them because if you went to the tomb where my God was buried, and you looked inside, you would find that it is empty, and it's empty because he arose. He is risen. And he goes, that's where my hope is. It's not in a man who once lived but is now dead, and I can see his bones in a coffin. My hope is in my God who died and yet rose again, and he is no longer in the grave. He is not there. He is risen. And a God that can do that is a God that can certainly know what's going on in your life. He knows your heartaches. He knows your troubles. He knows your victories. He knows what you get excited about. He knows what's going to happen in, in the next couple of days. He knows what's going to happen next year. He knows what's going to happen 10 years from now. He knows everything. And this may seem hard for us to wrap our mind around. And sometimes when I'm thinking about the things of God, you, you, almost, you almost have a reverent I want to call it a reverent fear because he's just so big and so vast, it's hard to take it all in. I mean, I used to think about, okay, so um, before God created people, who did he talk to? And 
and was he not lonely and 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 what did he do with his time and I you know I can't imagine just being the only person but we know that he exists as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit right so I think they probably had some good conversations before any of us got here what do you think but it's just amazing to think about these things and to know that we have a God that that is alive and that he is watching us he's always watching us he never turns away he never looks away he's always watching us and i i rejoice in that because one of the worst feelings that we can experience on this earth is loneliness right and feeling like nobody knows us nobody understands us nobody cares you know, we've all had those feelings before. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible feeling. And the, the words ring true and will forever ring true throughout eternity. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I am yours, and you are mine. What, what more do we need to hear from anybody? What more do we need to cause us to rejoice? We've got the Word of God. We've got the will of God. Amen. And we've, we've got the, the knowledge that God is watching us. And that's what this psalmist wanted us to see. You know, let's get up. Let's rejoice. Let's sing a new song. Let's play our instruments because of these reasons. And it's a simple little song tagged on to a, another song about the fact that God forgives us of our sins. And, oh, yes, wow, we almost forgot about that, didn't we? He's forgiven us of our sins we are forgiven we have every reason to rejoice so i would encourage us this week at some point to rejoice by giving a ringing cry do it by yourself do it with your spouse um don't do it while somebody else is driving it's probably not a good idea but rejoice rejoice in the lord this week and as we, as we move forward to uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, um, you know, every Sunday should be a, a Sunday that we rejoice and get excited about that. But we're just more tuned into that this time of the year. And as we're thinking about the events that led up to his crucifixion, as we're thinking about the events that led up to his resurrection, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice alone and let's rejoice together. Because remember, it's a command that we've been given in Psalm 33. And it is beautiful for the upright to rejoice in the Lord. All right, let's all stand. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want you to just think about some things as we get ready to pray and finish out tonight. I just got a couple of things that came to mind that I just want to share with you. And, and maybe some of these... Uh, will uh, touch a chord within you. Maybe you're experiencing some of these things. But let me just ask these questions. Has God touched you in some area of your life that you're grateful for today or this week? There's a reason to rejoice. Do you feel as a child of God that you are praising Him as He deserves? Do you feel like Maybe some more instruction in how to praise would be of benefit. But do you feel like you're praising him like he deserves?
I know this has happened to me so many times, but have you become distracted by things in your life and you've lost your focus on God and so you really haven't been rejoicing and praising like you should have? Do you need to bring some situation or some problem or some sin to him and confess that to him and ask for his help with that? Do you need his help in anything that's going on in your life? Do you need to come before him and do you need to seek him in worship? Do any of these things apply to you? I think I think what has impressed me as I was reading this psalm and as I was studying this psalm is that I can get so wrapped up in life and the daily problems and the daily struggles that I do forget what I've been promised and what I've already been given. And so it takes my focus off of these things. And so it really is necessary for me to come to church. It really is necessary for me to read my Bible. It really is necessary for me to pray because it keeps my focus where it needs to be. And my prayer is that God will take my eyes off this earth and off this world and the problems that I've got in it and that my eyes will stay on him because his eyes are forever on me. So just imagine this picture. As his eyes are on you, your eyes are on him and you're looking at each other. Think about that. Father, we want to rejoice because your word tells us to. And our lives are so full of things that don't matter and are are not important. And we struggle with these, and, and they sometimes become so important that we forget to keep our focus on you and our eyes on you, as we've talked about here tonight. And, Lord, we just need your help. Uh, we need to be reminded uh, of why we why we should rejoice. We need to be reminded of all the things that you have done for us in the past, and we need to be ever mindful of those things that are going to happen in the future. One day we're going to be gone from this place, and nothing that we're so consumed about and thinking about all the time is going to matter to us then because we're going to be with you. We're going to be in heaven We'll be serving you in in some way, some capacity. We're not really sure how all that's going to play out. But we're looking forward to that day. And until that day comes, uh, we just want you to shape us and mold us and grow us um, and uh, help us to be open to that, allowing you to do what you want to do in our lives. Um, Help us to rejoice for the forgiveness of sin. Help us to rejoice because we have your word. Help us to rejoice because of your your will for our lives. And help us to rejoice in knowing that you're watching over us, as the good shepherd does. And as we wake up in the morning and as we are reminded that your mercies and your compassions are new every day, what what would hinder us from composing and singing a new song to the Lord? to thank him for these new mercies and these new compassions. And, Father, we just thank you for how 
you have made yourself known to us and made it possible for us to have a relationship with you. We are forever grateful, and we honor you and we worship you, Lord. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You're-